0: For the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And tonight we're going to talk about 16th episode of the third season of This Is Us. This one is called Please Don't Take My Sunshine Away. This one picks up with the story in the NICU.
1: Right. But we also start off with some flashbacks. So let's dive in at the flashbacks.
0: This is the big three's first dance. It's hard to believe with all the jumping around that we've done with the big three that we haven't actually seen this. I guess we've seen them before this, after this, but this batch of kids is finally old enough to have their... Their first dance.
1: Yeah. So what would, what would that make them? I guess early middle school, maybe like sixth grade. At least in my world.
0: Yeah, sixth, seventh grade, somewhere in there.
1: That's where I'm going with. What did you get from this packaged flashback? Why why were we here? What were we supposed to glean from this?
0: I think this ties in most heavily to Kevin's storyline this episode, with a tinge of Randall and not a shred of Kate.
1: Okay, so with Randall, the little nugget that I got was that he was very conflicted about how he should be spending his evening. He was at the dance, but he was very concerned about studying for a science test, and so he was doing a terrible job of balancing his anxiety about the test and actually being nurturing to his date, Jessica. I feel like this is very heavily reflected in current Dave Randall and Beth with his whole commitment, confusion between. Beth and being a council member. Those
0: were those were the exact words that Jack used uh, when they they uh, they they were staying. I don't know. They weren't so. Supposed to stay as as chaperones? No,
1: they were. They were just trying to sneak away, having a little kissing time. Little oh, th- Come okay, on, Paul. They're just being jokey.
0: I understand that, but I I didn't understand that they were official chaperones. They group. were
1: official chaperones, but there was a lot of adults there.
0: And they found Randall in the in the lo- in the uh, library when Jack said that the you have to honor your commitments or something to that effect, meaning you made plans with this nice girl and you've been ditching her. To go over your your cards here in the in the library and i think that's what echoes forward into the future and this is something that randall has been building in i guess the whole the whole story of randall all three seasons is him having all this ability but having a lot of like a lot of trouble prioritizing where to spend his energy,
1: I agree with that. I like that the the priorities and and oftentimes he has a hard time because he has he's kind of o c d like he wants to be the best Randall at whatever he's doing, whether it's cooking Thanksgiving dinner or whether it's you know being dad or whatever. but if he has to be more than one thing that's when we've seen Randall really struggle you know and other people suffer so like when William was in the picture he really heavily tried to focus on being you know William's son and try to figure out a lot about that and really you know to the detriment of his own fam you know he would kind of go off with him and you know even buying William's building all these things like it was just very singular focused that's Randall's big flaw and the reason why we love him he's so passionate that he can throw himself into a project and be so all in but yet you know be neglectful at the same time and that's what over time over many situations we've seen with him then the sort of neglect aspect is really starting to to become this obvious pattern with him that he's the equal parts passion and neglect
0: uh, but the main thrust of the flashback i thought was kevin mm. and his it's i don't know that it's actually like a like a what what soulmate kind of bond with with Sophie it's more like some sort of unholy like attachment where where she keeps having to to stick to him regardless of her own <laughs> best interest for her right
1: yeah i completely agree with that right before we get into kevin though i do want to hit um rebecca and jack because i think that they had a very small story but i think it was worth Talking about. So I felt like we got a chance to visit with Rebecca and Jack in terms of, you know, where they came from and reminding us of their childhoods and how different they really were. In that, Rebecca had such a comfortable childhood, she was able to worry about things like, you know, what she was wearing and school dances and things like that. Whereas Jack, he had such a difficult, scrappy, bare bones childhood that like, he even had like amazement over the fact that his kids had the opportunity to just relax and be so carefree as to enjoy a school dance.
0: It almost reminded me of, of a scene where Jack might have been drinking or something because this was, even though he wasn't very detailed, he released more uh, information about his childhood and, and things like that in this one uh, setting than he really ever does you know usually he get he, he says like a detail he's angsty about it and then he and then he goes and does something else for a while but in this one he was like well i never went to dances and he had these other other little minor things that would kind of give you the the picture uh, yeah uh, he uh, said of, it very his-
1: casually about his dad you know, hitting the abuse and stuff like that—like it was all much more casual, you know. Than but he it never, was.
0: W- he never really talked this much about it all in one go. Yeah, before. I agree with you on that. So that so, was interesting.
1: That is. I so mean, he was
0: loosened up by, by seeing his kids, uh-huh. uh, uh, by having um, having a good time.
1: And I also think maybe that he felt that bond with Rebecca because you know he saw how good her. her addition to his life had been and that you know it could have gone a really bad direction and then now with the addition of her now he look he has his family and kids who who are at the the level of survival needs that they no longer have to worry about just like what's for dinner but they can also think about the school dance and things like that that he just never got a chance to worry about so i liked that little glimpse i felt like that was like okay that was that was worth it but i do agree with you that really kevin's charisma and his charm is heavily shown throughout both the flashback all the way through the Zoe therapy session and then all the way into Sophie. So the little flashback part with Sophie and and Kevin was really about Sophie feeling like she understood what was the right thing for her to be doing and Kevin basically egging her on into doing something that she knew was off path here this was not a good idea but she does it anyway
0: let's clear up something that may be a misconception to viewers looking at um this is us as some sort of historical document onto what it was like being raised in the 90s bow ties were as much a a sign of douchebags then (laughs) as they are now Kevin wearing that bow tie was a little not on the money.
1: You know what it was though? It was a little Eddie Haskelly. Okay. You know, a little, a little. Yes, Mrs. Cleaver, but like he's totally the guy with the toilet paper behind his back. Yeah, and that's kind of Kevin. Like he's a he's the he's the kind of big smile that like on the Orbitz commercial does that like ding, you know, off his teeth. Yeah, but like behind his back, he's got you know, a, a water bottle of vodka, right,
0: the, uh, you know,
1: he, that's kind of the, Kevin the
0: slingshot or. Yeah.
1: Whatever. Yeah. Very Dennis, the Pennessy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. So let's get into, um, to modern day Kevin and he still has all this charm. I thought it was great that they showed Kevin and Zoe heading to therapy. I think it was extremely realistic given the therapy sessions that I feel like you and I have ever had, where we feel like we quickly outwit the therapist and pretty much. Just like walk out of there like, yeah, we pretty much like wrapped her around our finger.
0: The difference here... Uh, allegedly, is that Kevin can afford whoever he wants. We have to go with whoever's on our insurance. <laughs> but, but Kevin, he's he's in the NICU. He was like, if you, if, it, if it's a matter of money, I'll get the best doctor that you can get. And that's a totally different scale of money than just going to see a therapist. So I can. So did imagine, you feel
1: like it was the level of her expertise no, that? I think allowed, it was a level
0: of Kevin's charm ability that that. Uh, okay, so our, you're
1: more impressed with his charm because she would have been a more expensive therapist. Yeah. I see.
0: Yeah. Intrigue. What I liked about this scene, though, was that Zoe was, she doesn't want to be played for a sucker. Right. And she's fully aware that she is in sucker territory. She is not really holding back. She is saying he had the vodka in the bottle.
1: Mm -hmm. She's,
0: She's saying, I don't want to be lied to. I know you've been lying to me. She's saying all these things. And he... He hands her a what I, what I tweeted out as a get out of Kev free card with the kid business.
1: What do you think about the kid's business? Do you feel like they taunted us by the whole Kevin asking her later, like, are you pregnant, Zoe? Are you pregnant? Like point blank asking her. I feel like she never answered. I know that someone would say, well, she said they could just have sex on the counter and that she doesn't want to have sex. So all that equals she never was pregnant. But I don't know. I don't know. She never said no, Kevin, not pregnant. Never been pregnant. Like, she never Um, answered that. But I kind of felt, as an audience member who's been saying, I think she's pregnant.
0: I think I might have trained you into uh, needing to see the body (laughs) on on too many Walking Dead's.
1: I don't know. I just, I feel a little bit like, well, first of all, don't you think it was a little on the nose for Kevin to say, are you pregnant, Zoe?
0: Part of the charming part of his character is that he can ask these these questions that are that are right to the point or completely non sequitur that just reveal like what what's going on exactly in his mind. You know, for an actor, he can be sort of guileless in terms of uh, saying just exactly what's in the front of his brain. And that time it happened to be, "Well, are you pregnant?" And She just gave him kind of a
1: like a smirk. Or I'm, something, I'm like tired
0: that. of your antics, kind of look. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm tired of your antics. That's, that's, it seems exactly right on the nose, too.
0: But not a no. T- exactly. Tired of your antics is not a no.
1: I agree. Were you surprised that Zoe said, I don't want to have kids? No,
0: we weren't those people, but uh, I've come to recognize a lot of people our age and younger, our age being just slightly older than Kevin, are completely 100% not interested or thinking about kids. They're they're marginally thinking about marriage and and uh, and and back in my day the the one came before the other, you know, the marriage, then the kids. But that's like not the way things are anymore. So it. It's not surprising, especially given Zoe's background with the abuse. Um, I think that that's kind of, at least in TV psychology, textbook. I don't know if that's real deal, but in TV world, that seems to be the way it works.
1: That was my only kind of bummer about it because I have been talking with a friend about the concept of how people are represented on TV who do not want to have children. And oftentimes, it seems like they find a need To show some sort of reason, give like an excuse as to like why they don't want to have kids. So for you to say, oh, well, it makes sense because see, she has an abusive past. And it's like, yes, that's true. That, that absolutely could be the reason at the same time it's like you want to say like is it not a life choice anymore to just say like i do not want to have children and like you don't have to have anything well, these atypical things are informed. about like,
0: these kinds of decisions are informed by things in your life
1: no yes 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 f- fully but but the conversation was about sort of this idea i mean there was a lot of question marks like can you be can you choose to be a virgin and be an adult and there not be anything wrong with you can you choose to be someone as an adult who chooses not to have children? And I won't use the word wrong, just say that there was nothing that there's nothing atypical about your past. Like, are you allowed to just have a preference that that doesn't make you sort of like have to have had an excuse to have that? be your choice. And it was just, it's an interesting thing. I, I cringed a little bit that they chose for it to be Zoe because of the abusive past. I felt just a little bit like, while, while I understand what you're saying, that it, it makes sense on her journey and it does, it was only prompted because of this other conversation that I was like, yeah, you never really do see someone just make that choice represented on TV in a way that isn't kind of like questioned. And so in this case, I thought it was also interesting that I was unsure if she was using it as like a
0: a get out of cab free card
1: <laughs> or, or a test of some sort, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Some sort of commitment test to her. I felt uncertain about how the writers were using this. Now I'm going to be supersonically with anyone listening. I'm not saying that anytime someone says I don't want to have kids that they're testing their relationship partner. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, in this particular case, given the complex situation that Zoe's in with Kevin, knowing Kevin wants to have kids, was this just a game to see if he would commit to something huge like that in order to prove his love for her kind of thing? I don't know. And if it is, that's extra unnerving to me.
0: Interesting. Because we I don't know. met the mother figure a couple of weeks ago. And in this episode, Beth is pretty guilty of some passive aggressive shit. I mean, Randall was not a star performer in her life. Oh, we're going to get
1: into all but, of that. Okay. But
0: Beth was also... Actually,
1: I don't want to even hear what Beth is. Let's doing just her talk, part. Let's just talk about Zoe and Kevin. I'm
0: just saying, you know,
1: raised mean, in the same house. I don't want to think that Zoe is being manipulative, and maybe she's not. And maybe this is just, you know, this is it's hard to believe that this is the first time, given Kate's difficult pregnancy and fertility treatment, the fact that Kevin and Kate are twins, that it would have never come up that Zoe doesn't want to have kids.
0: Well, the, I mean, I think the other full 50% of the combo here is that Kevin admits he never really even thought about it. He sort of assumed at some point he'd have kids like a lot of, a lot of guys do, but but, uh, does that mean that he actually wanted them? He's never actually sat down and thought, do I want kids? A fairly normal thing for a single guy to have never thought of, but for him to just now, now I guess he has to think about it, but
1: I mean, I'm just saying, okay. And this is just my own life story. And so like, I could be so completely off when we were 17 and had been dating for like six months. Did you already know I want to have kids? Had I yes. already committed you to children?
0: <laughs> oh, I knew you wanted kids, That's and me. and I
1: also knew that you weren't like super jazzed about having kids. But that conversation—we were seventeen years old, and we had had that conversation. Were we so mature? I do not think so. No, it's not hard me. to believe two adults in the world that it had never come up. It just seems like one of those things that would, you know it's it's like your value system you know like what where do you where do you want to be in your life in five years kind of talk seems like it happens kind of early on you know and they've been together a while what did they talk about on those plane trips to vietnam paul i mean those are the exact moments right road trips and all that kind of stuff you would just sit there and blather on
0: maybe maybe when you're in the middle of like those cross pacific air air trips where you're relationship is still newish and you don't want to really break it just yet so maybe that is the exact wrong time to have the hard questions well what if you get to vietnam and you're like well
1: i don't like you anymore right see i'm just terrible at that game because i just wouldn't i wouldn't be able to just not talk about the most regular stuff and i feel like you
0: don't talk about regular stuff you're like there's a fire you can save my baby or my mom which one
1: that's true. I'm much more like that. And then I'm like, I'm not talking to you for the next hour because you said the wrong thing. <laughs> that's true. I'm choking. Quiz
0: hot shot.
1: P S, <laughs> it's not true about the not talking. I'll get a purse slip on, but I will quickly joke into the next thing. That's that's not
0: what <laughs> by joke she means ask about, you know, another burning <laughs> house. <laughs> But it's her dad and her grandma. Paul,
1: within this, is us talking about burning houses certainly is not funny. Oh, okay. Not bring that up right now. Come on. Anyway, okay. So let's get back over to the concept of old Kev and whether... Do we think that Zoe and Kevin are going to weather the storm? But I'm going to hold that question for a moment because I think it's super important that we have the addition of Sophie. Now, Sophie, I thought this was a little weird... That it was just after an AA meeting in which he just like rando chose different locales to try out. He just happened upon Sophie's, right?
0: Yeah. Well, and he could he could construct a mostly truth-based reason to be there, which makes it easier if you're not really interested in lying to Sophie. You don't need to tell the whole truth that maybe you looked through every single AA charter that ever was to find the place closest to Sophie's and then decided to sample AA sessions there first. (laughs) You know what I mean?
1: Well, he claimed he had tried some other ones, so I'm going to try to give him the benefit of the doubt. But, of course, you know, awfully convenient. What do we think about the fact that Sophie turns out to be engaged?
0: Well. I think that's pretty, uh, natural. Like, um, she's a pretty girl with a good job and a normal kind of way of being. Um, she's, why, why wouldn't she have, have found somebody interested in her?
1: I thought that him asking, do you want kids to her?
0: So clunky.
1: uh, So clunky. And she didn't answer, right? I just want to be clear with you. She didn't answer, right? He quickly took it back and was like, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Right. I'm not. Crazy. That's,
0: yeah, I think that's right. Yeah.
1: OK, so that wasn't answered. So it's still like mm, we would just have to be assuming that she does. What did you think about her response that basically Kevin always gets what he wants?
0: Well, that's when they started intercutting her throwing the, the toilet paper roll back in the in the dance. And I think that's probably right in that there are a couple ways of making decisions. Right. And one of them is not deciding and i think that's probably how kevin made a lot of decisions right he just didn't decide and then things kind of worked out where people wanted to either be his friend impress him whatever so man, he didn't need to pick he he got whatever both sides were in life those aren't normally the big decisions i mean we've had to make some big decisions where if you wait you're you're choosing one path that is not great if you just wait you know so these are maybe smaller type things where kids is definitely a larger type type decision. So what I think he's thinking
1: an accidental pregnancy would get him what he wanted.
0: Well, or theory he can pick Zoe and work on her. Right. You know what I mean?
1: Right, right, right. Do you think that there are people in the world that always get what they want?
0: I think there are people that make the most out of every situation. So, Even if they haven't gotten uh, exactly what it is that they say that they wanted, that they turned what was what was bad into something, something good. And I know that's something that people have said about you. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. Yeah. When you say it like that, for sure. I definitely don't think I always get what I want, but I do think that I work really hard to take whatever lump of clay i'm given and uh, form it into the best case scenario for what i was hoping the outcome would be so i don't know if kevin's that kind of person or you know if kind of have you, you've intimated in other other things like he doesn't necessarily have like this big plan you know like we've always kind of like wondered about Kevin like where exactly does he live where exactly does his money come from he doesn't have regular jobs I know we can assume royalties and stuff like that but still I mean you know there's working actors and most people can't just sit around for long periods of time you know yeah so we've only seen him work on the one movie in the three years that we've seen him working you know yeah so it. it it does seem like, Kevin, a lot of things sort of go Kevin's way, but for my own self, I will say I, I do agree with the sentiment that I think that it can be perceived that way if, if you, as the person who these things are happening to, are happy with whatever you have rather than needing things to be a certain way in order to be happy. And so it's I think Kevin can be the type of person just like with Zoe. Like, I think he could be happy with Zoe with or without kids. I think that we're finding out he's going to test the waters here to figure out if maybe Sophie's still an option. What do you think about the idea that Kevin seems to accept Sophie's taken and that he goes back to Zoe, says, "Okay, I choose you. But then it ends with this email for her front row Billy Joel tickets to Sophie and Grant,
0: it reminded me a lot of first season Kevin when he was super attracted to the actress in the play, decided to keep dating the playwright because he, it was the right thing to do. Remember, and she overheard that, and that was pretty much it. The, the setup's not exactly the same, but the concept is kind kind of the same, right? Where he just kind of decides, you know, what he's gonna try to do based on some, I don't know, thinking of what he thinks is right. But
1: I feel like it is also like when he liked the actress in the play, before the playwright got involved, right? He wasn't with the playwright. He decided to produce the play himself when the movie, when the money wasn't there. So he like put money into it to like, hang on to her in a way. Right. Yeah, so right. that she didn't leave his life. And by paying what could only be an exorbitant amount of money to have front row seats at Billy Joel, It's like he kind of like created a little bridge there. Like then she's going to say thank you. And then he's going to say, how was the concert? And then now we're talking, you know, and it's like he kind of weaseled his way in much like becoming the producer of the play. You know, he kind of forced the situation for them to stay working together.
0: That's good thinking. Yeah. So it's kind of a pattern, Um, but it doesn't mean that he's totally committed to Zoe either.
1: No, I'm just not. I'm very unsure. I mean, I think he does. uh, It's it's a killer because I think that he legitimately loves Zoe and that they are a good couple and that she is trying extremely hard to understand about his life and fall into his world, basically, you know?
0: But unfortunately, she has no idea how closely his heart still aligns with, with what he wants Sophie to be for him, I guess. It's like it's it's almost like he loves Zoe as much as he can love someone that's not Sophie.
1: Ah, I like that. And you know what? Here's a big fat question mark. I assume we're going to have a flashback at some point where Kevin goes and cheats. Where we see how their marriage actually fell apart because, you know, here we are like, "Oh, it's his soulmate. He loves Sophie, blah blah blah." But we have to remember he's the one that like went off with somebody else. And so, what does that mean in terms of like is were they soulmates? What you know, in the first place. Is that even true? And then what is this? Is this just like he he just is kind of obsessive with her and can't let her go or what? You know, he just always wants her to be the fallback. I do think it was important that within that conversation, they were really spelled out that everyone in Sophie's life hates Kevin. She's like, oh no, Alyssa, that's Alyssa. She hates you. No, Allison, she also hates you. Like how how many bridges he's burned in Sophie's life. The idea of him just slipping back into a relationship with Sophie Think about that freaking dumpster fire, you know? Like, yeah. That does not seem like it's going to go very well at all.
0: He took a pretty major shit on her in the in the second go round.
1: Two times. Cheating on her wasn't exactly a light shit, Paul.
0: <laughs>
1: Jesus, <laughs> lord. Yeah, no. I mean, I think that, yeah, that was not a it wasn't a shart, honey. <laughs> it was bad news. <laughs>
0: uh grading poop
1: <laughs> you're terrible all right so billy joel tickets i i think that this was a even sophie looked at that email with like a hmm I'm like, what's all this?
0: Yeah, she might be smart enough just to give him away or something but...
1: Oh, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? If she just says like, oh yeah, I gave it to my friend Alyssa. If you guys are Billy Joel lovers, I totally want to direct you over to Twitter to at a Billy Joel pod because there's going to be a new podcast coming out called The Night is Still Young of Billy Joel Podcast that's being put out this spring and I love Billy Joel. Totally think you should totally go listen um, and check out all those. I think they're doing album by album is what I understand. So that could be fun. Hey, Paul.
0: Yeah, Caroline.
1: Have you ever had a situation where you're really, really, really wanting your spouse to do something and it appears that maybe they're not doing it and then you send a terrible voicemail? I
0: don't think I've done that.
1: I haven't either. Have you ever sent a terrible voicemail, just generally speaking, or a terrible text?
0: I've probably uh, sent some, some mean texts.
1: I have for sure sent unintended consequences texts, like unbelievably so. I am not wonderful all the time at understanding how my vocabulary translates to other people. And so sometimes I will be saying something and I think it's very like benign, but then the way that I use certain words, the other person will come back and be like, what the hell are you talking about? And, and maybe even be kind of like offended or (laughs) pissed at me for like saying that. And I'm like, wait, no, that's not even at all. And it's honestly not. It's just, it's just, I can be a little careless. I think sometimes about my word choice. Would you say that? is true Paul sometimes also I will like overuse a word like I overuse the word weird I overuse the word trouble I overuse the word awesome probably like I overuse it to the point where it almost has no meaning and then things get really confusing
0: Yeah there was that one time you were like dear grandma you're a bitch <laughs> <laughs> Anyway no she never said that she That's would
1: a bizarre jerk to say make that. Paul Randall not unjust just like you just now, made an awkward, embarrassing scene to his wife.
0: Yeah, not cool. Um, I mean, the scenes leading up to the fateful dinner scene were all one-sided, I would say, in that they, in my opinion, maybe it's just because I'm a dad, but I think they were painting Randall as super dad, unappreciated dad, overworked dad, And not really showing any part of what Beth was going through to make her new life work.
1: I agree with that wholeheartedly. Why in the world does it have to be a Beth-only episode in order for us to get Beth's POV? Like, I mean, I understand in order to have some sort of dramatic tension, we, we needed to see it from Randall's side in order to not really know if Beth was coming. But, I mean... The way that like sort of the end of their section, they showed that like a real quick like a flash to what a Randall day looks like in terms of doing laundry, making lunches, helping with homework, putting away the games and stuff. I feel like universally Twitter was like. Why are children as old as theirs are not cleaning up after themselves, making their own lunches? You know, like really basic crap. Okay, like, oh, sure. Help out with homework. I understand that. But really, the rest of the crap that they really showed him doing was like, do you kids pitch in at all? You know, like this is kind of nuts and not a normal family, in my opinion. Certainly not ours. We have three special needs kids. And let me tell you, our washing machine is brailled. Lauren does her laundry. Like, this is bullshit, y'all.
0: Especially um, not... I mean, Deja's definitely old enough to be helping out with All
1: something. All of them are. Annie could put the silverware away in the drawer, you know? I mean, our kids were doing that at three years old, you know? Like, come on, y'all. This is This part is silly. Like, if they're making it out that they're having this much tension over, like, daily chores, they're taking these two characters who have these high-level management jobs and making them seem like they can't think their way out of a paper bag. You know, like you really can't figure out a way to get lunches made or get the laundry done or anything else. Like, come on, guys.
0: I think they tried to. But again, going back to the super dad bit after they get home from Beth's show. The first thing she says is knowing that that he um, wasn't in time for dedication, but he was in time for the show was all this stuff about how great the dedication was. Very passive aggressive shit right agree and she doesn't say it with any kind of frown or or malice which is what helps it be passive aggressive and then they've shown us all the super dad shit and then she walks out of the room and reminds him it's your night for dishes and he's like, oh yeah right of course yeah so i think they were really trying to show us beth was sticking it to him even though she may not have been, there may be well, plenty of days Beth's doing dishes. Well, you know? I mean,
1: because what else would Beth be doing? Is my big fat question. I mean, she doesn't have a job, and she's
0: not a daytime job,
1: right? But this is what I say. But she and she teaches at night. So what what would she be doing other than like why is she not making lunches and doing laundry and stuff like this is a little bit confusing and and they're asking us to believe this scenario, not about life on Mars. Okay, we're this Martian family who we can't understand their life. They're saying, this is us, right? This is us, y'all. This is our everyday. And now they've just given us two parents who, one, works a part-time job in the evenings a couple days a week. And other than that, both parents are really home most of the time. Now we have this addition of the councilman job, right? Yeah. Where now they did show really hardcore that Randall's driving back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But again, there's this sense of like, I don't feel, I feel like this couple who maybe at one point represented a lot of us and even an ideal of where any of us would want to be, I feel like they have somehow dumbed down their characters to where they're having to try to force it on us that day-to-day life is too hard for them to figure out. It's too hard. I just find that hard to believe, you know? I, both of their current jobs One, both, both are essentially part time jobs. One is only in the evening, a couple nights a week. I I, I don't understand what they're trying to feed us right now. They needed to add another layer. I thought they were going to add Beth's infirmed mother into this mix in some way we're like now she's got to be driving back and forth to moms or mom's going to come move in with them she has to become a caretaker to her in some way something when they introduced mom in the fall the fact that she fell down i thought that there was going to be something to that something to make like to up the stakes you know because if we're just talking about laundry not getting done this is not enough to break this couple up this is silly you know, this kind of stuff is silly, and not just,
0: delegating very well at all.
1: I, I just, I, I don't know. Now I feel awful that Randall went so far as he did. Like that was terrible. How did you feel about the way Beth handled it? How did you think that it all played out there at the at the dinner? Her coming in, how she handled the whole thing.
0: I guess that's probably the classiest way to do it, right? I mean, she said she'd be there. She did her best to get there. She didn't embarrass him. At all, except if you were Randall, you could have been uh, a little bent out of shape with the one comment where the president said, with your background in urban planning, uh, that'll be great for Randall to have someone like that in his court. And she basically indicated, Oh, I'm not in his court.
1: <laughs> well, no, that's not what she said. She uh, said, When
0: she said he's got- anything besides, Yeah, totally, that well- means I'm not in your court.
1: Okay, but she said he's got enough good ideas on his own. I don't I don't think that that was... I don't think that that was nasty. I just think that that was...
0: You don't? I mean, they only showed like five comments from the whole dinner, and they showed that.
1: We know that it's nasty because we know Beth and Randall, but I don't think in that context. I think it actually could be construed as sort of stroking a man's ego. Like, no, no, I'm just the little woman at home. He's so strong and smart.
0: That's more of that passive aggressive stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, cool that's, for the president, that's but how Randall would that's take it That's how you
1: would think of it because I wouldn't say that shit. In this, so it would be passive aggressive for me to say that. But there are plenty of women out there who would say, no, no, my big strong man, he doesn't need me. And it'd be genuine about it. Like really just be stroking ego and just being arm candy for the dinner party. That that's really all that they needed to be.
0: Well in that capacity then she She would have looked well.
1: good. Right. That's what I'm saying. So I I feel like you know it was obvious to Randall because she's such a smart and capable woman in terms of like speaking for herself the way that she was sort of just pushing it back to him. But of course then also you know sliding her hand out those types of things. How do you feel about the way that the writers are handling that scene because I, I i'm kind of implying that i and you were saying that you you didn't feel like they they really balanced how they were showing the strain. They were showing all the strain on Randall and they really aren't showing it on Beth at all, right? So now they have to have this egregious move that Randall does for us to all to say, "Oh, see, now we have to have some sympathy for Beth because Randall was such a dick to her, right? Yeah. Instead of us coming in empathetic for both parties, thinking they're both working their asses off, they're both trying their best. How do you feel about how the writers are sort of manipulating that when we got to know the story's got both sides? She's got to be doing something. Other things got to be going on.
0: I mean, it feels a little fishyola because uh, in the scene, in Kevin and... And not Kevin. In Kate and Toby's scene, we learn that the baby has been in the NICU for one, two, three, four, five, six days, right? So that means she's been teaching at the school like what, a couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: And that's as long as it's taken for their marriage to dissolve. Pretty much. I mean, because that's when the first time he gave her the, you know, I think you should uh step back. Uh, speech was like on night one <laughs> right, right. Uh, of teaching so uh yeah he, he at at least we can assume maybe he just didn't have a very strong stomach for for this but it it's still it'd be different if it was like six months but it's only been two weeks that you can tell because the NICU storyline only takes a couple of hours you know what I mean and if they're intercutting it all together into one episode, I think as viewers, it's not too much to assume like this all happens within the same span of 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 now time. You know what I mean? So all that stuff combined, the manipulation of only showing us Randall's side, not showing us any bit of Beth's, and then the, the really compressed timescale of the destruction of their relationship is making you feel super manipulated on that storyline especially right now
1: well and i know you even brought up the the compressed storyline in terms of her love of dance you know like oh, it, for sure that that Got wasn't it. something that you know we never just saw like a maybe we need to go back and look. And I invite anyone to find an Easter egg from Seasons 1 or 2 where there might have been a picture of her in a tutu somewhere in that house. I
0: really need it.
1: Or or, or why wouldn't the girls have been in dance? They have two little girls. Why in the world wouldn't she have had them in dance classes? Were
0: they never counting on having Beth around this long? I mean, shit.
1: I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, I really feel like this is, it's not. Uh, Yeah. So so I I do feel manipulated by this storyline to the point of it feeling a lot like less like this is us and more like we're going to tell you this story that you're going to have to suspend disbelief in a lot of things because we all live this life. We're all thinking about it from different ways, whether or not you're you currently are a parent with kids With kids in school and jobs or whether you even have a friend who has this or whether you were a kid and you have parents, whatever your scenario is, this particular scenario is not foreign enough for them to expect us to lick this up and say, yes, this makes sense. I understand this story. It's like, no, this story is convoluted and you've made it so strange and you've had to bring in all these other things like, oh yeah, and she has a passion for dance and all this stuff in order to break them up that it feels like, Ah, You know,
0: I mean, as a person who has pursued various passions over my adulthood and had a partner tolerant of of those various,
1: I would even say encouraging
0: passions, I would hope that at least there's been like an organic flow where they all kind of gel into a similar sort of need for expression, right, that isn't met through the other you know 23 hours a day that I have to spend doing things so Beth on the other hand they never gave us anything like that you know yeah like if she had been going to uh you know wine and painting night with the girls occasionally or something where it's just like she had some sort of yeah or she need or she did that- draw
1: or paint or or Just something that she could have been even doing in the background
0: a need for some kind of even if she was even if she was a woman that just painted the house all the time because she just couldn't leave it alone just something that just screamed I need to express myself because this isn't cutting it would make more sense
1: And, and be more real. You know, those of us like I like I am not I would not consider myself an artist in the true sense of like having an artistic talent, but I have an extreme need to express myself when Paul says paint the house every other day. Well, I don't do that. I'm definitely somebody who will like rearrange the furniture or like, you know, I will like the lightning bolt will hit me and be like, I totally need to like do this whole thing in a different way within our house, like interior design wise. And it is the way I express myself. And sometimes the projects are short lived and sometimes they are like, wow, I never, right? Like you would say. Well,
0: in that vein, if you were to say, I want to take tap tomorrow, I'd be like, well, that's weird, but not totally like unseen, unforeseen. Like that would fit with your character. If you were, if we were writing a TV show. Right. That would fit with your character.
1: Yeah. I have a need to definitely express myself. Certainly. And as do most people, it's just, they haven't given us enough depth of Beth for the two first seasons. And we felt that way. You know, we were like, I can't wait till we get to. When we learn more about Beth, you know? Yeah, yeah, And so, you know, I don't know where I would have cut stuff out, except for that I think as a whole entire group, even on Twitter, I'm going to stick my neck out and say, they could have pushed the Deja storyline off until season four if we could have been allowed Beth and development of Beth and the family and the girls they already have. And then bring us later so that we have a far better full circle understanding of this group, you know? Exactly. You know, again, though, I guess if they have to break them up, I don't know. But- uh, I, yeah, this wasn't even really the meatiest. Well, it was for us because I think that we're a little bit we're a little PTSDing about the NICU stuff. I'll be honest with you. So I feel like we're real quick to be like, that's not how it would happen," And we like really try to we're not like I don't think I'm absorbing it as hard as I am. Beth and Randall, where I'm like, okay, you know, this is a couple who we were all rooting for. And I really want to understand where they're coming from and why they developed the characters the way they did. I feel like Kate and Toby's story right now is like, they're going through the, for lack of a better word, like choreography that is apparent in a NICU. You know, but it but it doesn't require necessarily like development of their individual characters. And I mean that because I think that parents journeys in the NICU, they to me, they probably come down to like very... A finite number of personalities and responses in that situation because so many things are happening to your child and to you that I think it's like you're either are like they're kind of separated out like you're either a Kate or you're a Toby or maybe a little variation in between. But there's not a whole hell of a lot of the same kind of development as I feel like we're going through with Randall and Beth. You know, right. i yeah. making sense about that. Yeah. Do you understand what I mean? Let's finish out Randall and Beth with this. Uh, clearly, Randall is rejecting the invitation to sleep on a cot
0: with his weird ass purple, <laughs> purple
1: cheese <cheesecake. laughs> cake. Love it.
0: I guess he'd rather sort this out right now. The preview for next week's episode makes it look like we've got to learn all about the history of Randall and Beth interspersed with them going at each other. In this, in this knockdown drag out. So we get to see their love story and what could be the end of their love story all in the same episode.
1: Wow. I feel like that's going to be a heartbreaker. You know that?
0: With those Dwayne Wade glasses and...
1: The whole thing. Everything. To, to see the beginning of their relationship and then interspersed in the middle of some sort of screaming fight feels like... You know, to be honest, I don't feel like we've seen a lot of screaming fights in This Is Us. You know, if you look at seasons one and two and almost done with three there hasn't been a whole lot there has been some we had like the therapy session of like some pretty harsh words and stuff but but as much as any couple might argue we really haven't seen a lot of arguments you know
0: well, these two have been r&b right they've yeah. uh, they've worked together so well so yeah even if the, even if it doesn't amount to a lot of screaming it'll be a lot of screaming for them yes agreed so let's flip over to the NICU I have some Strong feelings relating to Toby. In, okay, in I, this episode, I
1: have some strong feelings as well. I do want to start off with the 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 title "Don't Take My Sunshine Away." That's a song that I sang to our girls in the NICU, and I still have my voice crack when it's the "Don't Take My Sunshine Away" part. That is, uh, I think. Now, having seen her sing it and seeing Twitter people sing, other people sing it, I guess it's a common song we all sing to our little ones. I didn't really think about it as being so typical. I don't know why I sang it. I mean, it's not like I grew up with it. So I, I found that interesting. I felt like they did a good job of showing the how tired Kate was, the fact that this is day six and... Perhaps she hasn't taken a shower and, you know, you know, she finally is like, I got to just take a shower. I very much could relate to having not Paul, but other men in our, in our circle, be very hesitant to want to sort of bond with the children, not want to hold them for fear of them being too fragile, not want to sort of be too too much with them. I, I, I could understand those kinds of things, I guess. I could just say that I could – not that I could understand, but I guess that I, I had those same experiences where some people handled it differently, you know? People, yeah. Some people were more scared. Some people were more. So I want to hand the mic over to you, though, sir, because I know this was primarily dad related. And I'm going to, I am going to ask you, however, to. Try to represent more than just your view of of a dad in the NICU because you know there were we saw other personalities in the NICU too
0: the whole storyline for these two characters I think revolves around Gavin's assertion that moms they're better at this than us moms that is something that is super easy to agree to going through my NICU experience. Everything that happened in there, it seemed like you knew what was happening next. You seemed to know what was coming next. And even though they didn't say, you knew what was needed, what was the best thing to happen. And I had no effing idea what, what was going on at any point in time until I was told what was going on. However, where uh, Toby and I and Gavin, especially, and I uh, diverge is the part where they needed to step out and think things through a little bit. And I might not be cut out for this and all that kind of stuff. Like, well, this is the part where Caroline and I don't usually mix well with other parents of, of, uh, young children, because this is like the, uh, what we've come to call, or what at least I call the fine print of bearing children, which is everyone around you is, is having kids and everything goes great. And so you're kind of Assuming that this is just the way it goes, but you don't realize that when you, when you agree to make a kid, you're signing like this weird contract that has fine print to it, which, which also says this shitty stuff like, well, if the kid comes out too early, you got to deal with that too. You don't even think about it because you, you don't even, it's like, it's like agreeing to your, your iPhone uh, when you turn it on. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not reading all that. You know, so it's the same kind of deal. It's like Toby didn't realize that there was fine print, so he's still thinking about this kind of optionality to it. Well, I might not be cut out for this. So, what happens then? I guess uh, I guess uh, I'll just go. That's not even an option, dude. That's not the way I thought about it. However, offering the perspective of other uh, NICU dads, yeah. A lot of them, a lot of them did walk. It was
1: actually shocking that we were there for six months. So we had an opportunity to see like two parents come in, two parents come in, two parents come in, one parent, one parent, one parent, no parents, no parents. Like sometimes it would, we saw ones where it went, no parent, like nobody came anymore or just one, just, just mom would come. And it turns out people got divorced mid NICU stay and you know, having having done this a lot longer and gotten a chance to talk to a lot of families, I am privy to the fact that, like, some people just had to go back to work. You know, they didn't have the the type of job where if they were gone for six months they, that they could financially deal with it or in any way have the support to deal with it or they had five other children at home or whatever. You know, like there were other reasons besides just Toby's straight up like I'm not cut out for this, but we definitely saw people divorce and or abandon children.
0: We live in Houston and that makes us a few hours away from Louisiana, but we have the best hospital system like around this whole entire region, including other states. There were families from Louisiana that would rather come to Houston than stick closer to home. So they would make that trip. I don't know if you remember that couple. I do. So seeing the two dads just sort of like with their minds blown out in the waiting room, commiserating with each other, that made me really not happy with Toby because I've been kind of coming around to Toby uh, the the past season and a half, uh, impressed with Toby. And but this was like, Toby, come on, you gotta you gotta man up here. Don't let Gavin be your your teacher. He's a bad example because he's been there for several weeks. The whole idea with the NICU is that you're gonna be there for weeks. Especially twenty eight weeks. That means you got three months to go, buddy. And
1: the standard, in case you guys don't know, is that it's typically like you would get out near to your due date. So in the case of you know a twenty eight weeker, in theory, you would stay in twelve weeks more to get to forty weeks. In theory, in theory,
0: depends on weight. No, factors, I do want to ask blah, you: blah, Do blah. you
1: feel like that Gavin was a bad role model because you you stopped at you stopped short and said because he's been in there a couple of weeks, but that's not why he's a bad role model or why toby needs to tread lightly
0: because he had already looked burned out on the whole thing he's got so much further to go and and he'd already looked like he was spent you know that was that was my takeaway from gavin
1: i think i think for me the the thing that that i'm sure is common but but made me feel like oh gosh i wish that i wish for other people that they don't go down that path is the bad karma idea the idea that what I did in my 20s is why this is happening to me now or whatever. Like, I i mean, I know that that's very common and I know that that's very typical. And I'm not trying to say that um, that that isn't, you know, what almost everybody probably goes through on some level just from a character point of view. I don't want Toby to play that game because it's so it's so hurtful, especially I think if you're the dad doing that, because in the case of. Kate, you know, she is going to worry about all the things her body did or didn't do to make this thing go right. And Toby has always just been, you know, along for the ride. So to start blaming his karma as like the thing that affected her body is like that it's too much of a stretch for me. And it's and it's too like. Like yick, you know, it's like, like you want
0: to slap him. And be like, you can't even think that shit. You can't even you can't. have that as like a private thought you really in your mind because you're going to act on that shit. And yeah. sooner or later, you're going to make her feel bad for the fact that, and, the, and it is a fact that her body didn't hold the babies to term, right. and she already has whatever she's going to feel going on about that. So. If you add to that, well, my comment. Right, like
1: I drank in my 20s or something stupid that you're like, what? Like that is not even a thing and you're like making it weird, you know, like don't be weird. Yeah, I'm with you. I I would also like to say that I thought that it was extremely dead on about the comparison of kids' problems. Playing that hierarchy game, holy Moses. Those
0: of you with, let's call them typical kids out there, when you meet, parents that you don't know for the first time, but you're in a similar situation, I'm sure you do this sort of thing where you're like, well, Timmy has been playing Little League for seven years and the other one's like six. And then you're like, but he gets straight A's and then the other mine too. And you're just like comparison all this kind of bullshit like that. Special needs parents do the same thing. But instead of creating kind of this hierarchy of who's most likely to be the valedictorian, uh, special needs parents kind of work it the other way where we compare whose kid might actually have it worse. And I'm not sure why we do that. Caroline and I noticed this maybe two years into special needs parenting and cut that shit right out because we don't want to be part of whatever that game is. It took us a while to notice what was going on, but it but it seemed like every time we met a special needs parent, we just listed off the diagnoses like it was just some some sort of like.
1: I was like your ID badge a
0: list of achievements or something. Yeah, it
1: was a weird thing. Well, I, part of it was a, is it is a game of trying to find common ground. So it's like, oh, you have a feeding tube. We have a feeding tube. Oh, you have this. We have this. And then there gets to just be this weird part. And it goes both ways. Like, like, so on one hand, you think, well, is the game to try to have the most challenges? Is Is that the winner of the two person back and forth? Sometimes I would say yes because then in some way you're like so I have it the worst. Yeah,
0: you're down to like strep throat so, thirty four times. You know? Right,
1: and so you're and <laughs> so then in some way everybody is supposed to like bow down to you, like you do the most amount of work. I am a mere mortal and only have you know three special needs kids. You have four. You know whatever whatever the game is, right? So it is. It is odd. Now, in this case, they were playing the game in a little different way, which is like, well, at least where it's not as bad as this kid. Right. Because this kid's problem is so much worse. Now, that game is played, too. Whenever you're in the hospital and you think things are going really shitty and then you hear, I mean, I you guys, I will tell you a straight up situation. And I, I don't remember these people's names, so it doesn't matter. Um, we encountered a family in which the child was a little one, like six maybe-ish, little, and we were, um, the child was deafblind and had Down syndrome, and we thought, oh my gosh, that would be so much more complicated than Lauren, who is, you know, quote, just deafblind, right? But then the kicker was that child had been diagnosed with leukemia. Oh my God. Again, partially you're like, you win, you know, you have the harder job, you know, than we do. But then also it was like, we There was some relief of like, well, at least we don't have that to deal with. You know, at least we are healthy in addition to our whatever our current challenges are. We don't have that additional, you know, cancer chemotherapy. It's a weird game of feeling better about yourself. Now, surely in the typical world, because we don't live in the typical world, Paul and I, we've never parented a typical child ever. I don't know like we only assume you guys play the game of like my child's on the honor roll and and my child's the valedictorian but perhaps you guys have a game like this that we're just not aware of (laughs) you know I I certainly hear the shit of like I'm so busy busy being like a four letter swear word in our lives Mm -hmm. because like what what you trying to say like what kind of fight are you trying to start that you're oh so busy I can't wait to hear right am I wrong
0: oh yeah oh that's
1: Mm. that's, like coming in and saying like fuck you everybody like you're ready to rumble if you start with that busy shit busy's a choice guys busy's a choice okay <laughs> fucking commit to less that's all you gotta do
0: that's funny
1: but in 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 a, in a typical world okay now if you have special needs situations and challenges obviously this is not a choice okay so i don't know if you guys are listening in your typical family and do you find like one-upping do you hierarchy kids and families in on like a well at least we're not as bad as that or is it a game of the other way like we're like keeping up with the joneses like we're higher up than the joneses does it right. only go that way? Did you guys even realize special needs families go the other way? And, right. And try right. to what up each other's with like bigger challenges. And like, oh, we've... well, mine pooped the floor last night. Well, yours only pooped. Mine pooped and barfed. <laughs> like, you know, like they're like it, it's a whole thing. I'm not joking. It's like a whole. Am I wrong?
0: Yeah. I mean, we are we have uh ongoing relationships with people that are basically like the, the winners of, of a very large region of people for having the story that will top everyone else's story. That's just the circles We have to travel in. So, this is just normal to us. So, yes, please take us up on Caroline's uh, question of whether or not you normies out there do it the other way.
1: Yeah. Or if there's some sort of secret extra hierarchy that maybe we don't know. That's like a whole thing. I don't know. All right. So let's get let's get down to this. uh, The procedures part, because I just have like an actual problem with this. You guys, we were in the NICU for six months. We were in two different hospitals. We had a million jillion different nurses and doctors. Never did they do a procedure in front of us. They don't even do blood draws in front of us. They certainly would never catheterize anybody, adult or child. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Okay. This isn't the way that this happens, especially with an infant in the NICU. Like procedures are happening all the time. And it's they ask parents to step out. That it is a very
0: it's hard to look at. Immediate So they thing. don't they don't want you to look.
1: And they, and they and they
0: don't want you to do what Toby did and start talking. They and do bing. not want
1: you to intervene in right. any way. You know, like even if you've had a kid who's had surgery, they they take the child away from you completely awake. You typically are not even there. When they're going to start the IV or anything, sometimes to start the IV, but that's it. They will take the kiddo. We've had a kiddo goes, go away in a little red wagon. They'll take them. They will go away walking away. They will be carried away, all kinds of, stuff. but you are not, it is not good practice. I will say this. It is not good practice, nor the typical practice we've ever seen to have parents present because of that exact scenario. You know, like this is crazy. Why would they be involved? You know? So I call bullshit on all that anyway. And so there – so then I kind of want to like throw Toby's response out because I want to be like, well, I don't know because I I can't even – I can't even picture it in my head what catheterizing a two-pound infant must even look like. Like you guys have no clue how small their body parts are and how little everything is like – that big gigantic tube thing that they pulled out is ridiculous. Our girls were 11 inches long. That tube that they pulled out that was supposedly supposedly like the catheter tube would have been longer than the entire baby. <laughs> I mean, it, it was for dramatic effect, but it was stupid. Like, that's not – you know, don't like – Mm, they just don't need to do that. Okay, you guys pull out a ruler and look at 11 inches and then go back and look at that scene. See that wand, that bubble wand, gigantic thing this woman pulls out of the thing. Just, mm, no. It's their minuscule equipment. And additionally, like, I I can't imagine watching that. I wouldn't have ever watched that. I can understand. Now, the part when Toby says, all I see is pain, Paul. How did you feel about that?
0: Man up, Toby. When... My girls were born. I had two of them. So I'm already comparing myself. I got two just like yours, Tobe. How he sat six days later commiserating with Gavin in in just sort of like unacceptance of the state he was in, I couldn't agree. I couldn't see his point of view exactly because once they were born, they were born. So then it was on to... How do we get them to survive? It wasn't just like, golly, gee, now they're born. Let's talk about bornness for a while. That was that was a very short conversation. Now they're born. Now they need to survive. What does it take to survive? Well, it takes all these things. How much about that do I need to know? Just, just that these things are required. All right. That's what I'll know. And that's how I moved on with what we were doing right then. I don't know, Toe. Maybe you need to come to my clinic. I'll give you like a talking to... About how I, to how to deal with this, but I think
1: you should. And and you know what? It's so odd. Maybe it's a it ha- must be a coping mechanism. It must be. I legitimately never thought those words that they were in pain.
0: Our girls were born with skin so unformed and gelatinous that they were they kind of had a sheen, a constant sheen on their skin.
1: Like if you touch them with your finger, your fingerprint stayed
0: they were still jello-y the idea that their nerves were still perfectly functioning and firing and all that kind of shit didn't even enter our minds that that was even a thought to worry about
1: see but i don't even know if that's was it i mean i was i wasn't thinking about nerves i wasn't thinking about i wasn't even thinking that I, i it was it was so it was not practical and now looking back i think my god they must have been in pain i mean i can't you know, they had needles and tubes and stuff sticking all, all, all over their bodies. But I ne- I can honestly tell you in those six months until they got much, much bigger when they got much, much bigger and especially Elizabeth, she knew when we were going to leave because these were six month old babies and she would cry about us leaving. And so that obviously then but that again, that wasn't physical pain. That was like emotional pain. And so there were there were these parts that were like. I I was like Kate. I mean, I saw I saw their little faces. I saw their little fingernails. I saw their they already had personalities to me. They already they were my girls, you know, and I it never I, I don't know how to say that differently besides just to say, like, I never reduced them as people into just this concept of pain. I, I I always looked at them. And maybe it's a mom thing because again, I grew them in my stomach. They were always people to me. They weren't just balls of tissue or whatever nerve endings. You know, they were never that to me. So I so I didn't ever feel that way. Do you think from a do you think that that plays in at all from a from a father's point of view that 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 like, you know, because a lot of dads don't feel like they're a dad really until the baby's really born because, you know, it's like they don't have that same connection maybe that a mom does.
0: Mm, that's fair. I mean, and, and I'm
1: just throwing that out there. I don't feel that's true, but I'm just throwing out. I know I mean, some fathers feel not that connection until they actually have the baby there.
0: That's that's fair. I mean, with regard to your pregnancy with the girls and to some extent, Jack, I went to a lot of ultrasounds with you that doesn't really equate to feeling of creature growing inside my body, but at least I felt connected to the process. You know what I mean? Yes. Like I was there for every new image that they took. So uh, I knew how big they were and all that kind of stuff. When you went on bed rest, I had a lot of private conflicting kind of thoughts on how to best balance the safety of you versus the safety of the of the twins and that sort of drew me i would say closer to to them because i i guess i hadn't thought about them in in terms of like survivability in that in that capacity uh up until that point so toby had a very short span to to to, to even kind of think about things on those terms. I had basically two weeks.
1: Yeah. So to be clear, I actually went in at 21 weeks and managed to be upside down for two weeks to keep them into 23 weeks. So it was during those two weeks that I got an infection. So I was sick. Uh, The babies were getting sicker. Uh, Lauren was baby A, so she was definitely uh, had getting an infection as well and everything was just sort of like it It started to become a question mark of if we get to the point of caroline's life or the life of the babies what are you going to choose i wasn't a part of any of those conversations at all because i was completely and utterly drugged during those weeks so i was out of it but after the fact you described those conversations
0: and that was the big uh struggle for me was it's not that i uh, was ever going to pick any kind of choice where you were imperiled for the sake of the babies it was more like do we pick a path that clearly makes it so that you are 100 percent safe and imperils the babies because i had already started to think of them as people who just hadn't been born yet toby is, is like still, I guess he didn't get to have that, that part where I, I can only assume that, 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 that the transition there from, well, things happen during pregnancy to now they're born.
1: It's like a concept of a baby to a baby.
0: Right. Where right? Or a I ha- pregnancy
1: I, to a child.
0: And I had the luxury, I guess, of this two week span where they were people just waiting to happen. Basically.
1: Right. And, and, and and there was like monitors on them and everything, you know, in a way that was like, they were there, you know, they were real people too. There was three people in the bed. Basically. You know? So it was always like that. No, I mean, I think that they, they did a great job of showing where that tide turns when, when Toby takes the baby and holds him for the first time, and is like, "Meet your daddy." Like, and I thought that the actor did a great job of like, you know, that slow smile like come across his face, and sort of you can just see the like wave wash over him of like, "This is my son. This isn't a bundle of tubes and wires and and everything. This is my baby, and now I will do whatever it takes." to take care of him and make sure he's healthy and and happy and safe.
0: The first time I got to hold one of our daughters, it wasn't in that same kind of thing. Like our hospital had a reputation for being super conservative. So they observed like shift change where they kicked everybody out. Like Caroline was mentioning, they didn't let us see the um, procedures happening to the kids and all that. So when it came time to just hold the babies just for fun, if they still had all those IVs and monitors and stuff like that. I don't recall them letting us really touch them at all. I remember the first-
1: Just for feeding.
0: First time I held them was during what they called kangaroo care, which is a skin-on-skin type of therapy that small babies do with, it's preferably with their parents, but can just be anybody with warm skin, basically. Uh, I took my shirt kind of, I guess I was wearing a button-down maybe, And I'm unbuttoned a little bit and they just flopped the, the baby on my, on my chest. And that's where I held, I think Elizabeth for the first time. And so, but at that point, all she needed was a vent and like a couple monitors, but that was it. No constant IV that I recall maybe feeding too, but they could take that out for a little while. So yeah, I could, I could definitely appreciate that, that moment of, of, uh, fatherly connection with the baby coming with when you actually get to, to, to feel them, uh, you know, breathing and doing their baby business. (laughs) Baby business.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's absolutely when you feel like you like 100%. 100%. This is your baby. This You're the dad. So what do you think is going to go on with these two? I mean, we talked a lot about Kevin and Zoe's storyline and, and Randall and Beth's storyline. What do you think? Are 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 they going to have little Jack just go through this like, you know, 100% great? Or are they actually going to try to this is interesting timing because we only have a couple of episodes left really to the end of the season. And then they can allow Jack to stay in the NICU all summer long without having us go through it with them. We can hear about it in like, oh, yeah, those were three terrible months. But they actually don't have to make the audience go through it with them. Do you think that's how they will play it? Like, will will he be getting out of the NICU come the fall? Or will he already have been at home and thriving and everything's going great or what?
0: It'd make more sense with reality if he was just getting out or having been home just a short amount of time. But that would, if if that would almost steal something from the audience if they said, "Yeah, I got home two weeks ago. It's been crazy ever since then." Um, it'd be more like the first episode would make a lot more sense if it was him coming home and all the shit that you have to have at your house when a preemie comes home. 'Cause it's not the same shit you have when you when a typical baby comes home. You may have pulse ox monitors, you may have oxygen machines, you may have feeding tubes and pumps and IV stands and special small diapers and all the other kinds of stuff. I think either either he came home a month ago and there's nothing to see here anymore, or it's first day, like, you know, I think that's what they would show.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So then but definitely not
0: by the end of the season. If you're thinking baby Jack is coming home by the end of the season and they give us that, <laughs> oh, I'm not watching this show
1: anymore. I'll <laughs> put <laughs> both his hands up like, I surrender. I, 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 you know, that'll be interesting. And I wonder if, I mean, they they have to give us some sort of time jump here in order to do the flash forward. So we don't know how many episodes need to be dedicated to that flash forward. And flash so flash forward scares me. Possible
0: about baby Jack. I mean, oh, talk to me. Well they I mean the little bit of indicator they gave us about Tobe was that he was in bed looking depressed oh, alone crap. so does this mean Kate and baby Jack are off away somewhere by themselves? Does this mean baby Jack died, and so they split up? All these different kinds of things mm. can can go wrong that 's
1: a lot of worries you 're so right. Oh, okay. Well, I'm so glad we have a couple more episodes to go here before the end of the season. So hopefully we get a little clearer picture of what's coming in the future. And, you know, maybe it's just that we're so far in the future that Toby, you know, maybe Kate has some sort of stellar job and she's like a rock star touring the country and Jack's perfect. He's just off with his new wife and family. You know, we're far enough in the future. Tess is a grown up. You know, who who knows where we are here? Maybe beautiful, wonderful things are happening. Maybe. So, well, let's uh, stay tuned and you guys hope to see you guys next week. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software, our website, dailyreview.com, that's D A L E Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us. Please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here.
1: Just go home, folks.